Welcome to Unlearn to Learn, a podcast brought to you by the World Obesity Federation. I'm your host, Alexander. I'm the Education Manager at World Obesity, and in my role as Manager of Scope eLearning, I oversee the development of resources to improve the care and treatment of patients with obesity. In this series, I'll be speaking with some of the most experienced medical practitioners from all over the world. Across nine episodes, we'll be examining the prevention, treatment and care of obesity by busting myths and focusing on the science behind obesity treatment and management. Whether you're a medical student, a practitioner, or simply have an interest in obesity and public health, there's something to be learned here. So join us. Let's get started. In today's episode, we'll be talking about all things childhood obesity. We'll be taking a look at the root causes of the disease, its effects and the risks and potential complications surrounding it. Under this lens, we'll be taking a look at childhood obesity's long-term implications on both physical and mental health, many of the effects of which can carry over into adulthood. In today's episode, we'll be looking at the threat that malnutrition proposes and just how damaging it can be, both to a growing mind and body. With today's children being technology savvy from a young age and often consuming multiple types of media, we'll also be taking a look at advertising's role in the current childhood obesity epidemic. With that being said, let's dive into the episode. Today, I'm joined by Professor Louise Bauer. Professor Bauer is Professor of Child and Adolescent Health at the University of Sydney, Australia, and Senior Consultant Paediatrician at the Sydney Children's Hospitals Network, where she is an active member of Weight Management Services, a multidisciplinary clinical service for children and adolescents with obesity. On top of that, Professor Bauer holds the Chair of Child and Adolescent Health at the University of Sydney, and is a keen academic with special interest in the study, treatment, and prevention of childhood obesity. Over her extensive career, Professor Bauer has made many research contributions to the prevention, treatment and knowledge of obesity, specifically within children. Areas of her work have focused on the impact of food marketing, as well as the measurement of body composition, dietary intake, nutrition and physical activity in young people. With long-standing links with the World Obesity Federation, where she holds the role of Childhood Obesity Ambassador and is frequently an active delegate and speaker at World Obesity Conferences, There really is no better guest that can attest to the importance of understanding childhood obesity. Professor Bauer, it's a pleasure to have you with us on today's podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Alexander. Well, thank you so much for joining us. So just to set the scene then to begin with, what levels of child and adolescent obesity are we currently seeing around the world? What we have seen is an increase in prevalence of child and adolescent obesity, certainly over the last few decades. It varies from country to country, but what we have seen is particularly from the mid-1980s and so on, the high-income countries had this increase in prevalence and are probably fairly plateaued at the moment at quite high levels, varying depending upon where you live. But in the last couple of decades, we've seen the rise of child and adolescent obesity in low- and middle-income countries. The countries that are most affected by child and adolescent obesity in terms of the prevalence, the, you know, the rates of obesity, are many of the Pacific Island nations, the Caribbean, the USA and parts of the Middle East. But we do see obesity uh, occurring in many other countries, as you know. Interesting. And why is it that childhood obesity is increasing in lower income countries recently? There are probably a range of factors at play. There have been massive changes in our food environments, including in low and middle income countries. This was most profoundly shown during COVID where there were problems with actually 
getting food from where it's grown to where it's processed to where it's marketed to where it's consumed. We've seen the rise of a whole lot of food marketing and big commercial drivers of what people eat and move away from traditional agriculture through to the use of ultra-processed foods, um, more processing, more you know, organisations around the food. All of this has happened in the past in high-income countries, but they're happening now in low- and middle-income countries as well. So all of these have been dramatic changes and we've seen them happen over several decades, first high-income countries and then more middle- and low-income countries, each with somewhat similar effects. Okay, that is concerning. And with regards to children specifically, at this stage in their life, as they're in a constant stage of development, does this make them more susceptible to the effects of obesity, both physically and psychologically? Well, it also makes them more at risk for long-term health problems because they start that much earlier. But of course, childhood and adolescence are the periods when when people grow. It's when you know, whole body organs are being developed where there's linear growth, weight growth that are a normal part of development. But what happens if you're actually getting excess calories or you're getting poor nutrient quality in at this important time? So we know it's that poor dietary intake at this time is a risk factor for later or current and later problems with bone health, dental health, heart health, and more, and that includes, of course, weight status. Okay, so could we touch on that a bit more in terms of the complications? What are the most common complications we see um, in children and adolescents with obesity? Probably some of the mental health problems, particularly in the countries where there's a culture of recognition that people should be a thin ideal and where you're at variance with that. So we see in many high-income countries, but also in many other countries in the world, a negative attitude towards people who are above a healthy weight. And so children who are big can get bullied. They experience stigma and they get teased. And that's often what drives them and their parents to seek some help. But the reality is that there's a heap of other issues as well. There are other psychological problems such as depression and anxiety that are more common. But we also see problems with increased insulin resistance, risk of ultimately of type 2 diabetes, although that in most countries that remains relatively uncommon. Increased cardiovascular risk, so higher blood pressure, high cholesterol, problems such as that. We see kids who have musculoskeletal problems, so hip, knee and ankle problems, and sometimes significant orthopaedic complications as a result of that. They may have worsened asthma, they may have obstructive sleep apnea, they may have fatty liver disease and more. Many, many other immediate issues that young people can have. Um, some of these need to be specifically treated. So if they've got sleep apnea, they need treatment for sleep apnea. If they've got insulin resistance or prediabetes or diabetes, that needs to be treated as well. Okay. And how many of these conditions tend to carry on into adulthood? It's more likely to be an issue in adulthood if you have a more severe obesity if you still have obesity as an adolescent and if you have health complications during adolescence. So people who are big as adolescents or above a healthy weight as adolescents are more likely to have type 2 diabetes or heart problems in mid-adulthood 
than those who are a healthy weight during their adolescence. We know that a lot of these things tend to track. If you're a big young child, you're more likely to be a big adolescent, more likely to be a big adult with all the attendant consequences. And there are other issues that arise as well just by being having a higher body mass index as a child or an adolescent puts you at higher risk of later development of some cancers as well. Okay, so having that risk in childhood creates new risks in adulthood in addition to the complications experienced in childhood. So it's a problem for both immediately now, but also for the future. For most young people with obesity, they're concerned about the now. They want to be able to fit in with their mates. They want to feel fit and healthy and well. They don't want to be teased, but they do carry a risk for later health problems. Mm, Okay. So you touched upon the role that advertising has. So I'd like to talk about that a little bit more. So how much importance do you think we should place on the role of exploitative marketing and media being specifically targeted at children to advertise unhealthy and sugary foods? We know that there are many factors influencing the development of obesity in individuals. Clearly, there's a strong genetic and familial predisposition, but this has its manifestation through the environment in which we live. And what's happened over the last few decades, in, certainly in westernised countries, is that we've had a dramatic change in our food and physical activity environments. And our food environments have been dramatically influenced by exploitative food marketing. So we have children exposed to large numbers of ads in all sorts of ways. So they see it on billboards, they see it outside their schools, they see it on buses, they see it on digital media, traditional TVs, in the cinema, magazines, on all of those, social media, and they're marketing the less healthy foods and beverages that appeal to these young people. You don't see ads for wonderful fruit and vegetables. There's just no... There's no ability to market those because those are costly foods and marketing is expensive. But the poor quality foods where you have a huge budget and the actual product doesn't cost that much because it's not very high quality, you can have amazing marketing. And boy, is that marketing done well. It knows exactly how to get to those particular children and young people in different ways and to do that independently of their parents as well. And it's sophisticated and incredible and it's very, very effective at influencing what children want to eat or drink and what they ask and ask and ask their parents to purchase and then what they consume. So we, food marketing works, otherwise we wouldn't see so much of it. Okay, and what can be done about this? Well, I think a degree of righteous anger is a good way to start. So I think we should say this is not our cultural wallpaper. We shouldn't just put up with it. We should say this is not appropriate. I think it's really important that the voices of children and young people and the parents of children and young people be heard in this way because I don't think children and young people, if they knew about it, and many do, would actually like the idea that they're being exploited in this way. And I know parents want the third parent out of the house. They don't want that extra parent there saying, do these things. I know mum and dad said to do something differently, but we want you to ask for these products. Parents don't want to be nagged. Parents don't want to have their children being exploited. So I think it's in many countries 
people want that to be changed. And I think we need to be very politically savvy in this way. We need to tell our local representatives, our government representatives, that we want a change, that we want food marketing to be regulated, particularly when it is relevant to children and young people. And that will look somewhat different in different countries, but it will require a degree of regulation and legislation. So what advice would you impart to parents who are struggling to prevent obesity within their children? And what advice would you impart to young people themselves? Well, first of all, I want you to recognise that it's not your fault. We need to recognise that obesity is certainly has a very strong genetic element in it, but it also relates to the world in which we live. And I'm not holding any single parent or child responsible for this environment which promotes unhealthy foods and which actually makes it difficult for people to be physically active in so many places. So, first of all, if you're a parent, I would ask you to be thoughtful and caring with your child. Don't nag them. Don't blame them. Be a supportive, caring parent. Reflect on the family lifestyle, the family environment. Can we as a family be as healthy as possible? What do we have in the cupboards and the fridge? Can we just have a look at those and see if we can make it easy so we're not forever saying, don't have those soft drinks, don't have those chocolates, we just don't have those products in the house. If you are concerned about your child, I'd have a talk to your family doctor and just see you know, if it's a significant issue, whether there may need to be investigations depending upon family history and clinical examination. Depending on severity, it might be very important to see a professional or a professional team. So it might be appropriate to see a dietitian, a physiotherapist or an exercise scientist or a psychologist or a doctor or sometimes a team of these people, depending upon where you live. There are also options uh, with older children, uh, with adolescents, sometimes of medication and even sometimes bariatric surgery. All of this depending upon severity and uh, where you live. So, but first of all, start off by loving your child and listening to them and then seeing if we as a family can actually make some changes to start with. If you're a young person, I want to encourage you to look for help from your mum and dad and to speak with them and let them know how you feel because there's quite a lot of work showing that young people who are living with obesity actually feel very concerned but really don't talk much to their parents or to anybody else about it. So I'd encourage you to seek out those friendly and supportive voices and people who can might be able to start helping you and pointing you in the right direction. There are some great professionals around who can help you. And there's also some, you know, there'll be a range, depending on the country in which you live, there'll be some really good advice online about healthy eating and activity opportunities. Just be really careful about what you look for, though. Don't go for the things that look like quick fixes, but go for good government-endorsed websites that have really thoughtful advice and that are relevant for young people. And um, you know, in my country, for example, the, the children's hospitals will have some really great websites with information like that, but there will be other equivalents. I think that's a really good point. I think one of the themes on this podcast has been that there's so much misinformation out there around childhood obesity. So I think it's so important that any information, especially that which is sought by children, comes from a reputable source that's based on the science. 
I think that's really important. And you get a bit of an idea from that because you can see where the source is. You can have a talk to your teachers or to your parents or good friends. Be, be sensible about this. You can use your brains to sort of try to work out what's going to, to work and where you would start. Can I just say, sometimes people want just some practical initial tips about healthy lifestyle at home. And so the sorts of things we would say are drink water as your main beverage. Yeah, that's something that's good for everybody. Have breakfast, choose healthy snacks, be active every day for at least an hour if you can. Get outside, do things. Try and limit your screen time. Most recommendations are for under two hours. This is outside of schoolwork. I know that's challenging, but even being able to get it down a bit is a good start. Think about the sorts of snacks you have and having fruit and vegetables. So in Australia, we would say have five vegetables and two fruit every day. Get enough sleep. A lot of people don't think about that. You actually need sleep. And by sleeping enough and not too short, you can help your weight as well. And try to do all of this together as a family. Now, those are just simple pointers that you start with. And you'll say, oh, that's so incredibly boring and so incredibly simple and we say yes they are simple but they're not really boring and they are really good places to start so it leaves at least it gives you an opportunity young people you might you might realize oh my goodness I'm having a lot of soft drink every day or you know I'm always skipping breakfast or I'm never getting enough sleep well they may be great places to start it's not just for your weight, it's for your general health as well. So that's where I'd suggest you start. And then, But then see if you can talk to your family doctor, to your parents and others, and see if you need any additional help on top of that. Absolutely. Very good advice. Now, one of the topics that's come up when I've been looking into childhood obesity is the idea of the double burden of under and overnutrition. I wonder, Louise, would you mind explaining to our listeners what does this mean and what are its implications? For many decades... Malnutrition was thought to be and recognised as a problem with underweight, so that, you know, a low weight for age in young children and then in adults, of course. And then there was a longer-term version of it, a chronic, if that went on for a long time in a growing child, then you'd have what is called stunting, so that height growth would be limited. And so wasting so a low weight for age was seen as a sort of acute form of malnutrition and we've seen this in pictures of famine from different countries and then a short height stunting was seen as a form of chronic undernutrition in those countries. We saw this in many low and middle income countries and we saw it as a result of famine and starvation and war. But that's not just the only issue. We now recognise that obesity is another form of malnutrition, but this time with a degree of overnutrition in some areas, but also often associated with poor nutrient intake. And what's happened in many low and middle income countries now is that they're not just dealing with undernutrition, but they're also dealing with overnutrition. And so they have both, which is called the double burden of malnutrition. I had a PhD student, Dr. Chut Novianti Rakmi, working in Indonesia, looking at the Indonesian data over many years, and she showed that there had been a decrease in the number of children with wasting, with low weight. This is children under the age of five, 
over, this is over about 15 years, a decrease in the prevalence of wasting and a decrease in the prevalence of stunting, still fairly high, but coming right down. But at the same time, there was an increase in the prevalence of overweight in these young kids. And this was classic of what was being seen in some other low and middle income countries where you see finally stunting and wasting starting to be managed. Still a problem, but less so than in the past. But you see the emergence of this new westernised, in inverted commas, type of problem. And that's called the double burden of malnutrition. Then people say, well, what are we supposed to do? How do we manage undernutrition and overnutrition at the same time? In fact, a lot of the policies to promote one are good for the other. So in those countries, then the promotion of breastfeeding and healthy infant feeding will help undernutrition, but they're also great starting points for avoiding the development of overweight. We don't want rampant food marketing directed at the parents of young kids in low and middle income countries because that puts people at risk of undernutrition, but it also puts them at risk of overnutrition. There are many other dual policies. We're actually doing both. We're promoting healthy nutrition and healthy environments and promoting good education of mothers and so on actually prevents undernutrition but also helps to prevent the development of obesity. We're basically trying to normalise healthy eating and activity in this population. There will be some specific strategies that are needed to deal with undernutrition, just like there are some specific strategies to deal with obesity, but there's a lot of common strategies to just basically promote healthy growth and nutrition in children and young people. Okay. It's interesting because at the outset, it might seem like something of a contradiction, you know, having the coexistence of under and overnutrition, but in a sense, they're kind of caused by the same thing, lack of access to nutritional food, right? To a large extent, yes. And I, I just want to point out because you can see this double burden over and under nutrition. You can see it at a country level where there will be some parts of the population that are particularly at risk for undernutrition and some particularly at risk for overnutrition. And in low and middle income countries, people at risk of overnutrition tend to be more socially advantaged and more educated than the people at risk of undernutrition. Or you might see it in the same city or you might see it in the same household where you'll have some parents or a grandparent who might have obesity but the child may may have undernutrition or you may see it in the same individuals at different times of their life. So having to manage a household with all these issues is an important issue. We're just starting to recognise how important it is to have this holistic approach to healthy nutrition and growth during childhood. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So Professor Bauer, thank you once again for joining us and sharing all your knowledge and experience. It's really been invaluable information and your personal insight is very much appreciated. So thank you. Thank you so much, Alexander. It's lovely being able to talk with you about this. Oh, it's been lovely to have you. And thanks also to all of our listeners for tuning in. Once again, I've been Alexander. I'm the Education Manager at the World Obesity Federation. And this has been the Unlearn to Learn podcast. On the next episode, we'll be joined by Mary O'Kane, consultant dietitian for the NHS Trust, where we'll explore the importance of nutrition in more detail, as well as discussing some of the misconceptions surrounding nutritional approaches to obesity management. We'll see you next time. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>